All right, so if you've been with us for any amount of time, you, you might know that we are currently in our sermon series, Faith Over Fear. <clears throat> Faith Over Fear, that we started once this uh, pandemic really started going. Um, my conviction was that in the face of everything that's happening, we got to go to the Word of God and let God show us how we are to respond. That That's it. I mean, that's really it. And if we go to the Scriptures, what we see is that God calls us as followers of Christ, as people that believe that Jesus is resurrected and Jesus is conquering and has conquered sin and death, that we, in the face of the pandemic, in the face of fear, in the face of anxiety, we respond with faith over fear. That is how we respond. And so we are actually going to end this sermon series, Faith Over Fear, today. Now, you, you may know that today is also an, another significant Sunday. The Sunday before Easter is Palm Sunday. And I, I did a little change to our graphic here to reflect that with the palm in the background. As we uh, end our sermon series, Faith Over Fear, we're actually going to kind of turn our gaze and get ready for Easter next Sunday. And we're going to do that by... Um, working through the Palm Sunday narrative today, the Palm Sunday narrative this morning. Um, and so what we're going to do today is we're going to see that because of Christ, because of Jesus, we have triumph over tragedy. We have triumph over tragedy. If you uh, know the story of Palm Sunday, then, then you know that it is the start of the Passover week that Passover, the celebration of God's uh, deliverance of Israel from Egypt, is about to happen. And then in our narrative that I'm going to read here in a little bit, is the week before Passover actually starts. So that's sort of the context. What I want to do now is go ahead and jump in here. We're going to read it together, talk a little bit more, and then we're going to work through the actual passage. So we are in Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 24. Go ahead and turn there. And uh, you can read with us right now. This is what it says. <clears throat> and when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt uh, tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told him. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? What gives? Why are you? It looks like they're stealing it, actually. Why are you doing that? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, so they are getting ready to enter into Jerusalem right now for the Passover week, for the Passover celebration. That's what's going on. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, um, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus answered, I tell you, if they, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. Amazing, amazing word. 
And when he drew near and saw the city, Jesus wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that would make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So this is a mixed bag, this passage here. On the front end, Jesus and his disciples are getting ready to enter into Jerusalem. Jesus is on a donkey. We're going to explain that in a little bit. But as they enter, there's much fanfare. There's much triumph, right? There's a lot of crying out and praising God and saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And all that's great and fine. And then at the very end, we see Jesus weeping for Jerusalem. We see Jesus crying for these people. Jesus understands that though there is much fanfare, though there's much triumph going on right now, he sees the tragedy behind the triumph. And I think that that is something that we can all appreciate. That sometimes in life, one moment, things are going really well, all is fine, all is well, there's much fanfare, or maybe there's not fanfare, but things are just regular. And then all of a sudden, things change. There's tragedy lurking in the background, often unseen, often unknown by us. For someone who's been diagnosed with cancer, stage 4 cancer, you can feel perfectly fine. Go to the doctor. You get that diagnosis. You had no idea that it was going on, right? Tragedy was lurking in the background. That is what we are all in right now. The tragedy that was lurking in the background. You know, we all heard the reports. December, this weird virus going on in China. Oh, it, it'll stay over there. It's like the bird flu or, or SARS or whatever, right? January, more reports. February, more reports. Uh, then March happened, right? And all of our lives turned upside down. We had the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years, 3.5% unemployment. Just over 3 out of 100 people in the country did not have a job. That was great. And now that number is about to go way, way up. It's 4.5%. It's going to go way, way, way up. Often tragedy lurks in the background without us even realizing it. Me and Hannah have been watching the show on Netflix recently, and, it, and it's crazy and the timing of the show. The show is pandemic. Maybe you've, you've seen it or seen it on Netflix or watched it yourself. And the show describes exactly what we're going through, that most of us were oblivious to the tragedy that was behind the scenes lurking around, but some people saw it. Some people knew it, and this show pandemic really explains the, the threat of the virus that we're experiencing right now. We are experiencing this shared collective reality, the shared collective tragedy right now that most did not see, but some did see it. Some knew that it was lurking. The same is true of Jesus right here. There's much triumph. There's much fanfare. People are shouting. People are singing. They are ecstatic that Jesus is coming. And yet... As he is coming, he is weeping over this city, 
weeping over these people. In the midst of the triumph, he sees the tragedy. He sees the tragedy. And it is a far greater tragedy that Jesus sees, a tragedy that still exists than the tragedy that we are experiencing now. The tragedy that I'm talking about, we're going to work through that, is the tragedy of unbelief. Yes, this coronavirus is very serious. Yes, it is deadly. Yes, it is crippling to all of us and it's changing our lives. But there is a greater tragedy. And it's a tragedy that will persist once this coronavirus is long gone. It's the tragedy of unbelief, the tragedy of sin, the tragedy of separation from God. But there is good news. There is triumph over tragedy because of Jesus. And so today, as we work through this Palm Sunday narrative, it's, it's, it's going to be a little different message because Palm Sunday, the whole point of Palm Sunday is to get us ready for Easter. That's really it. And so there's going to be a few loose ends untied. There's going to be a, a few things left unanswered, maybe a little bit more questions than answers. But it, that is to get us ready for Easter, to set up the tragedy, to bring us the perspective of, of what true tragedy is so that we can sing and rejoice all the more for Easter next Sunday, for Easter next Sunday. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to see, as Jesus sees, we're going to see the tragedy, but we're going to take heart because in the midst of tragedy, God gives us signs of triumph so that we know as people of God that there is always triumph over tragedy. There's always triumph over tragedy. So the first thing that I want to do today is establish the tragedy, establish um, what Jesus is seeing and why he is crying in the first place over these people. <clears throat> so if you look at uh, the very end of our passage, Luke 19, verses 41 to 44, right away it says that as Jesus drew near the city and saw it, he wept over it. Jesus begins weeping over the city. The question is why? Why is Jesus weeping? If everyone's so excited, everyone's getting really jazzed for Passover and they're happy to see him, he's crying right now. That, that is such a, a dichotomy of, of emotion between the, the joyous folks and Jesus openly weeping. There's only, I believe there's only one other time in Scripture where it says that Jesus wept, weeps. And that was at the death of Lazarus, that he rose from, from the grave. Now we have here in Luke, Jesus weeping again. Why are they doing that? Well, the reason Christ is weeping is in the rest of the verse that we continue. It says, Jesus wept over the city, saying, Would that you, talking to Jerusalem, meaning all the people of Israel, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus is weeping over these people because in Jesus, in this man Jesus, God had sent to Israel, his chosen people, the Savior that he had promised. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see signs throughout the Old Testament that God has given to Israel where he said, I'm going to send a Savior to you. He is the Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one. I'm going to send a Savior to you. He is going to save you. He is going to restore your fortunes. He is going to lead you in righteousness. And here's the sign. He's going to be born of a virgin. 
He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be of the lineage of King David. He's going to grow up in Nazareth. And on and on and on. God gave all these signs to Israel that Jesus was the Messiah. And now as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, getting ready for Passover, he sees He sees Easter. He knows it's about to happen. He knows the cross is happening. And as he enters Jerusalem and sees this fanfare, he knows the reality of the situation, that they will not believe in him. That he was sent to his people to be their Savior, and his people did not and would not believe in him. This is what it says. In John chapter 1, verses 11, it says, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. The tragedy of unbelief, such a dichotomy of the Palm Sunday season, and, and this account, and, and the sort of the unveiling, and the, what Jesus sees in the midst of the fanfare, is unique to Luke. And it really puts a somber note on the whole Palm Sunday celebration. That behind it all is unbelief. That these people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. That means God save us or save us. And then the next week they're going to be saying, crucify him. Crucify him. And so Jesus is weeping over their unbelief because he understands what it is going to lead to. And what their unbelief leads to is destruction. He says, continuing, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. You and your children with you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Here Jesus is prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. Um, some 40 years later, in AD 70, Jesus is he's crucified in AD 30 or 33. They're not really sure uh, which, which day it is. But about 40 years later, in AD 70, the Romans, under the rule and leadership of... Um, what's his name here? <laughs> i got it written down. Um, under the rule and leadership of... I don't have it written down. It starts with a T. I knew it a second ago. Under the rule and leadership of this guy... The Romans came in to Jerusalem and destroyed the whole city. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed everything. In fact, here's a little picture that I grabbed online, just a, a, a little rendering of their destruction. This was a massive sort of date on the calendar in the history of the Jews. In the history of Israel, they have two temples that were built. The first temple was built by Solomon, and you can read about that in the Old Testament. The second temple was built by Herod the Great, and it lasted um, many, many years. Many, many years it lasted. After the Romans came and destroyed that temple and destroyed Jerusalem, the temple of the Jews has not been built back. To this day, 2,000 years later, this has not been built back. Jesus is prophesying the destruction of these people. He sees the tragedy, and and I, I can't imagine... Um, I, this is how, this is how I think about it, and this isn't the, the best way. This is how I process it. Um, if you're a college basketball fan, right? March Madness was canceled. March Madness was gone. It's gone, right? You, no championship. 
No nothing, right? Huge event on the calendar. March is college basketball month. Can you imagine being a coach or a player or even a fan or a sportscaster in mid-February covering all of these basketball tournaments, the conference tournaments, all that, seeing the jubilation, the, the, the fanfare, all of that, and knowing that in a couple of weeks, in a couple of weeks, no, no one's going to be around. Everything's going to be shut down. There's going to be no basketball, no March Madness, nothing. It's all gone, right? It's, it's kind of like that. Jesus is looking at the temple and understanding this is all going to be gone. It's not going to be here anymore. He sees the tragedy in a way that no one else could see. And the interesting thing is, as you read, if we continue on in the end of the passage, we see the reason for it. It says this, and, you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Why is destruction coming for Israel? Why does Jesus say? Because they did not recognize him as their Savior. The destruction is tied to unbelief. The tragedy of, that is going on here is that there is going to be a siege from Rome. That's a tragedy. But the greater tragedy is underneath that. Because their unbelief leads to their destruction. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. The tragedy that befell the Jews 2,000 years ago is, is horrific. Right? And, and, and is a true tragedy. But the greater tragedy still persists. And it is the tragedy of unbelief. It is the tragedy of not knowing Jesus. It is the tragedy of still being lost in your sin. And that persists today. That persists today. And this tragedy is not unique to the Jews. But it's true of all of us. That we all persist in unbelief. Believe. Jesus looks at these crowds. He sees their singing and their dancing, and he weeps for them. The coronavirus is a tragedy. It has just decimated small businesses, decimated people, decimated families, decimated cities, and yet it will pass. But unbelief persists. And those who die in unbelief those who die in their sin, those who die without knowing Jesus will be separated from Him forever. And so in the midst of the coronavirus and the shared tragedy that, that we experience, I don't want to mitigate that. What I want to do is, is heighten the greater tragedy that exists and persists and will continue to exist whenever we're all back to work, whenever we're all together again. The tragedy of unbelief the tragedy that makes Jesus see the fanfare and weep because he sees the destruction to come. And he weeps not for his own sake, but for their sake. And so what this should teach us, and again, the, the, the main point is that there's triumph over tragedy, not tragedy over triumph, right? And, and so I don't want to really bum you out. The triumph is next week. We're going to get there, and, and praise God for it. But what this should teach us right now is that whenever we look at people, we need to see as Jesus sees. We need to look at people and see their souls. 
right? And not see flesh and bone. We need to care for them. We need to provide for them. We need to support them. The, the, uh, John says if we have food and our, and our brother is hungry and, and we just say, you know, peace be with you and don't give them any food, then that's, that's jacked up, right? Like, that's not right. Like provide for people who are needy. And, and we've already kind of hit on those things in the first two verses. But the reality is there is an eternal destiny for you. And there is a tragedy much greater, much worse than the tragedy we are experiencing now. We need to be concerned with the eternal destinies of people. Just as Jesus is weeping over these people. We need to look at people as Christ does and look past all the stuff on the outside and see what's going on on the inside. Jesus looks at these people and he sees their destinies. And he sees the destination for them. Sin leads to death. There's, as a minister, you talk to people, you say, look, don't do that. That is going to lead to heartache. That is going to lead to trouble. The Bible says here, here, and here that that is going to lead to destruction. Do not do the thing that you want to do. As a pastor, and as just people that know God's Word, right? We know certain things that people do lead to death. Whenever I say death, what I mean is, is just not literal death, although it could mean literal death. A soul death, right? Destruction. We talked about last week, Jesus, um, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Paths of righteousness. The tragedy of unbelief is that we don't go down the righteous path. We go towards the path of death. And so we need to care deeply about the tragedy that has befallen everyone. The tragedy of unbelief, the tragedy of sin. And, and really the question I think we should pose ourselves, and, and this is why I pose to myself all the time, is unbelief tragic to you? Do you care that there are people in your life that do not know Christ and that will not know Christ? Now, I'm sure you care about that, but do you care to the point of weeping? Do you care to the point of anguish? Do you care to the point of dying to yourself? Because that is the example that Jesus gives us. I remember whenever I started really figuring out what it meant to follow Christ and know Him and have a relationship with Him, God began opening my eyes to the tragedy of unbelief for people that I knew, family members, friends, even teachers in, in college. And I'm just thinking, in the past, I never thought anything of, you know, heaven, hell, any of that. But as I came to know Jesus... And, and believe in Him, and, and really take these things seriously. The tragedy of unbelief just kept growing my heart. And I was like, i got to talk to these people. i got to just have a conversation. And I remember, I, I texted a few of my friends, just like I said, hey, I want let's get together, get some coffee, I want to talk to you about Jesus. I said that, right? And, and maybe that's not a good approach. Maybe you could do something different. But I sent that text, and, and we got together and we talked about Christ. Because it was just too much for me to bear. And, and I, I pray that for all of us. That the tragedy of unbelief is just too much for us to bear. And that because of that, we will walk towards our own cross, picking it up, dying to ourselves, 
to point people to Jesus. Because i got to be honest, it is easy to not care about people's destinies. If we are not plugged in with Jesus, if we are not together as a church, if we're not praying, if we are not in the Word, if we are not um, um, fighting sin in our lives, it is easy to not care about the eternal destinies of people. It's easy to not weep. It's easy to be distracted and care about other things. And so one thing we learn and one thing we see is that Jesus sees the tragedy. And are we willing to see the tragedy and be broken over it? The second thing we learn is that often for us we need to redefine what tragedy even means. Um, John Piper has a great example of this. If you've read the book Don't Waste Your Life or you've heard this message before. In in the book he starts off reading sort of a... um, a newspaper clipping of this couple down in Florida who, it was just a little bio, a quick little bio of them. They retired down to Florida, and it says they spent their evenings or their days walking the beach collecting seashells. And whenever he gets done describing this little bio, he says, this is a tragedy. This is a tragedy that these people, or that any of us, really, would find satisfaction in something so small. And the point that he makes is, you know, whenever you die and go to heaven, what are they going to do? Say, Lord, look at our seashells. Look at how awesome our seashells are. Look at how awesome our seashells are. And it reminds me of Romans 1 where it says that they exchange the glory of God for things of this world. The tragedy is that they exchanged the glory. On the outside, it was just seashells. On the inside, they had given their lives to things that did not matter. That did not matter to eternity. And so Jesus, in the same way, sees these people that have missed it. He was the Messiah. He was the promised Savior. He came to his own people. His people did not believe in him. but They gave themselves to things that did not matter. And we, in the same way, need to guard our hearts from giving ourselves to things that don't matter and care enough and be broken enough for people that are in much worse tragic situations than we experience right now. Again, no doubt, what we're going through with coronavirus is tragic and it is affecting people's livelihoods. I don't want to mitigate that. That is a That is a huge tragedy, but what I'm talking about is a much greater tragedy because it can persist into eternity. And so as we prepare for Easter, looking forward to next Sunday, looking forward to the good news coming, may our hearts break for the reason we need Easter in the first place. May our hearts break for the reason we needed a Savior in the first place. And may we cry out to God, Jesus, come and save and work and heal and use this time, this time, as people are looking for answers. People are looking for hope. There is hope. Jesus heals disease. We have worked through that side of stuff, faith in the midst of the coronavirus, in the first two um, sermons of this series. So go ahead and check those out. Jesus heals our diseases doesn't mean he's going to, but we pray. I've, I've seen him do that, Lord. 
Um, I, I'm not, you know, health, wealth, prosperity gospel. Jesus doesn't promise that we'll be miraculously healed or have money or all that. But he does heal. He responds to prayer. God, God responds to faith, okay? It doesn't mean it's always going to work out the way you want. But he responds. But there is a much greater need for people than just a, a cure of sickness. It's a cure of death. Death in the soul to be raised to new life in Christ if we repent of our sins and place our faith in Him. So let us feel the burden of that and carry that burden to Calvary next Sunday and just put it on the cross. Put it on the cross. Carry the burden of the tragedy and put it on the cross in triumph. That's what, that's what I'm praying for, and that's, that's why we're leaning into this tragedy this morning. So for you, action steps. What I'm going to call you to do you who are know Jesus and follow Him. Renew your commitment to pray for the lost. Renew your commitment to pray for people that you know that don't know Jesus. Renew your commitment to, to reach out to people, to befriend people, to strike up conversation. Renew your commitment to, to use the time. People are looking for answers. Just this past week, we prayed uh, for a lady um, who, who was having these symptoms, and I, I think she was really concerned and really afraid. And we prayed to God that God would heal her, because He can, and prayerfully that God would show her her greater need of Christ, because that is what truly matters, right? So renew our commitments for prayer, renew our commitment for, for burden for the lost, and then finally, um, renew our commitment to engage people, engage people who are looking for answers. I, I saw a, a news article Recently, that a prayer uh, they they track the Google searches, you know, for word, and the the percentage of the word prayer being looked up just skyrocketed right now, and people are looking for that. People are looking for good news, and man, we got some really good news. We got some great news, some great news for people, and I just pray that you would com- just renew your commitment to to be a a vessel of that good news. And so Jesus sees the tragedy. He's coming to Jerusalem. He weeps over the tragedy. But there is good news. In the face of this tragedy, there are signs of triumph. And I say it this way because we know the triumph is on Calvary. The triumph is on the cross. But before we get there, we see a couple of signs that the triumph will come. And that's the hope that we have, because it sounds this message so far sounds like tragedy over triumph, but I promise you, it is triumph over tragedy. It's triumph over tragedy. And so as we continue along and look at these two signs of triumph, what we're going to see as we look at what these two signs of triumph are, we're going to know that they're triumph, because they're going to tell us one and crucial, important fact. And the fact is this. Jesus is king. And as king, Jesus will triumph. As Jesus is entering Jerusalem right now, people aren't really sure who this Jesus guy is. They've seen the miracles. They've heard the stories. They ask, are you a prophet of old? Are you just some um, lying, um, demonic, right, um, um, person, if you know the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious elite, 
They said that Jesus cast out demons by the power of demons, right? They thought that he was demonic. So that's one um, spectrum. The other spectrum is that, you know, that he was a prophet of God. What we're going to see as he's coming into Jerusalem are a couple of signs that are going to point beyond all of that to show us that Jesus is more than a prophet. He's certainly not demonic. No, Jesus is a king. And because he is a king, he will triumph over tragedy. And that's the hope that we have. Beyond everything else, there are many kings, many rulers, many whatever you want as far as authority figures in this world. Jesus is king. And he reigns today. And he will continue to reign because of that we will have triumph over tragedy. So the first thing we see, the first sign of triumph for the king is in the colt. The king on the colt or the king on the donkey. This is going back to the beginning of our passage. This is what it says. It says, When Jesus drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where, uh, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat, and tie it and bring it here. So Jesus is telling his disciples to go get this colt, donkey, same thing. Um, if anyone asks you, why are you untying this? You say the Lord has need of it. So um, those who were sent away found it just as he had told them. And they were untying the colt. His owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their clo- uh, cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. So Jesus, getting ready to go into Jerusalem, uh, does not walk into Jerusalem, but he, um, he gets his followers here to go and get a donkey, that he will ride a donkey into Jerusalem. And the question is, why does he do this? Right? He can walk into Jerusalem, like most people are, but he chooses to get a donkey. And it's a donkey, right? It's not a it's not a, a stallion or a horse. It's not you think about a king, right? You think about like, you know, he, he chooses he chooses to ride into Jerusalem on the equivalent of like a Honda Civic or a Ford Focus, right? I got a Ford Focus. They are not the shiniest cars in the world. Gets me from point A to point B. It's a hatchback, which I really like. It's got extra room. That's not important. But he chooses to ride it on a Honda Civic and not a Ferrari or not a Porsche or not any of that, right? Not a stallion, not a horse, but a donkey. Why? If he's a king, why does he choose to ride in to roll up on a donkey? Well, believe it or not, he does this because the donkey is a sign of triumph. The donkey was the mark of a king. Donkey was the mark of a king. Zechariah, prophet in the Old Testament, prophesied way back in the day. This is what he said. He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. What he's saying is, Israel, rejoice, sing, praise. Why do we need to do that? I'll explain. Behold, your king is coming to you. So rejoice because the king is coming, the king they're waiting for. Righteous and having salvation is he. The king is going to bring righteousness and bring salvation is he. How do we know it's the king? Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, full of a donkey. You see, Jesus, by choosing this donkey, understanding the prophecy, he is asserting to all the people there that he is 
that he is here to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah. That you will see your king mounted on a donkey. That Jesus Christ is the fulfiller of this prophecy. And the donkey is a sign of triumph. He's a sign of triumph because he is the one, the donkey is the one, carrying the king. And that's good news, right? Because these people were waiting for a king. They were waiting for a liberator. If you uh, know the history of, of the Jews in this time, they live under oppression. They live under Roman rule. They are not free people. There is a bloody history here of clashes between the Jews and the Romans, and there's going to be more bloodshed in the years after Jesus Christ. And so these people are beaten down. They are defeated. They are under the thumb of Caesar, right? And they are thinking back to the glory days of King David, whenever they were a free people and mighty and prosperous and had all the gold and silver and had all the victory in the world. And they're praying, God, we need that Savior. We need that king. And so Jesus is coming in on a donkey saying, I am that king, the sign of triumph. What they didn't realize is this, and what ultimately leads to the death of Christ is this. Jesus did come as a king. He just wasn't the type of king that they expected. And he wasn't the type of king that they wanted. Jesus did come to defeat an oppressor, but not the oppressor of Rome. And not the oppressor of Caesar. No, he came to save them from their sin. He came to save them from the grip of Satan. A much worse oppressor. And because of that, he shows himself to be a much greater king. This is something they couldn't wrap their minds around. And so as they are coming in and see him on this donkey, they see the sign of triumph. They just didn't understand the type of triumph it was. Because they didn't understand the type of tragedy that they were really in. Jesus is the king. The king that came to triumph. So the first sign of the triumph is the donkey, believe it or not. There's a second sign of triumph. The second sign is the palm branch. From where we get the namesake Palm Sunday. This is what it says. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawing near already on, um, on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. While Luke doesn't actually include the waving of the palm branches, if you go to Matthew or Mark, you're going to see these people waving palm branches around. And you're also going to see these people shouting, Hosanna. So that's something they were doing is just not included in the narrative of Luke here. And so you might wonder, why the palm branches, right? Why do they do that? Well, that's not something we do. We just have palm trees or, you know, those fake trees you, you keep for, uh, for decoration, all that type of stuff. Well, these people, again, they were in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, to celebrate God's salvation of Israel from Egypt. And as they're coming, really... Like the whole nation converging on Jerusalem for this Passover week, they had these palm branches with them because palm branch for the Israelites and really in the Middle East is a symbol of victory. It's a symbol of, of Jewish nationalism. It's a symbol of triumph. And so as they are here sort of waving their palm branches, celebrating the victory that they have through God over the Egyptians, 
Now they are looking to Jesus to provide another victory for them. Laying down the palm branches at his feet. Saying, just like we've been saved from Egypt, Jesus, you can save us from Rome. You can save us from our oppressors. Celebrating the salvation that God could bring. And that's what we see. They're rejoicing, talking about his great works, talking about his great power. And then, as you continue on, we see this phrase. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They begin reciting this this phrase, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's actually from Psalm 118. So you can go to your psalm, to the Psalms, Psalm 118, go to the very end. You're going to see this phrase at the very end. Um, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 is known as the Egyptian Hillel. And Hillel means praise. And so they would use these psalms for praise and worship, particularly during Passover. And so as Jesus is coming in, they are kind of applying that Egyptian Hillel scripture to him to say, Blessed are you, the king, who comes in the name of the Lord. You are going to deliver us. And so if you take all of these signs together, and Hosanna, that's that's the other phrase. Hosanna literally means save us or save. And so they're shouting to Jesus. He's on the donkey which is a sign of kingship, sign of triumph, waving the palm branches, sign of triumph. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a sign of triumph. And then saying, Hosanna, save us, the sign of a king. If you put all this together, they really have put all their eggs in this Jesus basket, if you will, not to have a pun for Easter there. Um, But they have really put all their eggs in this basket, and they're looking at Jesus as a king. And the thing is, and this is the tragedy, they're so close, yet so far away. Because Jesus is a king, and he does bring triumph. But he wasn't the king they expected, and because of that, he wasn't the king they wanted. He, it wasn't the type of triumph they expected, and it wasn't the tr- type of triumph they wanted. The tragedy, they are there but they are not there. They have victory over an oppressor, but they don't realize who their oppressor really is. They have triumph over an enemy, but they don't understand what that triumph actually is. They have a king who can lead them, but they don't understand who this king actually is and how tragic that is, the dichotomy between their praising and Jesus' weeping. And we know from their shouts of Hosanna, next week to their shouts of crucify him. How quickly they turn on Jesus. And for us, what we learn and the way that we apply this, especially in our present situation, is this. We have to be careful that we do not look to the wrong Savior. These people were looking to Jesus as their Savior, but in a sense they were looking to the wrong Savior. Because this Jesus that they had in their mind was not who Jesus actually was. And they were asking for the wrong Savior because they had the wrong enemy in their minds. For us, especially this time, don't go looking for the wrong Savior. The government is not your Savior. Because the government cannot save you from your ultimate tragedy of belief, separation from God. 
The stimulus check that most of you will probably get here pretty soon, while very helpful, a blessing from God. We'll see how it works out for our kids in, generation, in the next few generations. But for right now, a blessing from God. That stimulus check is not your Savior. Okay? It's not your Savior. Our doctors and our nurses are heroes. My sister is a nurse. She goes to a clinic every single day. It has to deal with people who are symptomatic, feverish, coughing, all that stuff. She is a hero. All of our doctors and, and nurses are heroes. And they are literally saving people's lives. But they are not our ultimate saviors. Because none of these people can deliver us from our ultimate tragedy. The tragedy of unbelief. The tragedy of sin. And so this Palm Sunday... As we look forward to Easter, we need to remind ourselves of the true tragedy that exists and will continue to exist long after the coronavirus. And from that, we need to lift our eyes and point it to our true Savior. As we turn our eyes to Jesus, we realize that salvation is near. That there is triumph over tragedy. And this is the key. I I actually had a Totally different sermon worked out. I changed it last minute yesterday. Um, but one of the, the main nuggets from the sermon I had um, was that we can live a life in full victory whenever we realize that our greatest need is Christ. Whenever we realize that our greatest need is Christ and we have Him all the time, we live in victory. And so I encourage you, don't run to the wrong Savior. Don't... don't um, Don't be afraid of the wrong tragedy. God has all that worked out. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Prepare your heart for Easter. Prepare your heart for what is to come. Prepare your heart for the triumph that we will see. Enjoy the triumph we have over tragedy. The one, it says, to whom the rocks will cry out if we were to stop. The very rocks will cry out to him. And so as we conclude, I want you to take heart. In this situation, Jesus provides. But in our greatest need, Jesus has provided. He provided on the cross, in the empty tomb. We're going to see that. We're going to celebrate that. For you that do not know Jesus, I offer and I really give this call. You and we all are experiencing things that are very hard right now. But there is a far worse reality for you. There is a God that loves you. But because of your sin, you have been alienated from this God. That's what the Bible said. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, we deserve death. That's what it says. And that's not a fun thing to say. But God has to judge us for our sins. He has to. That is what a good judge does. He does not let people go off scot-free. That's bad news. But the good news is this. God provided a life for us. He provided someone who would come to die in our place so that we don't carry the death that we deserve. He has placed it on Jesus. And He has called us to turn from our sins, place our faith in Christ, believe on Him. And if we do that, we will be saved. We will not face the judgment we deserve. That is a word that a lot of people don't want to get into because it's hard. But I tell you, it's true and you need it. Jesus is the true and 
only Savior, of our only real, true, and present reality. Present tragedy. The tragedy of sin. I call you to respond to this Jesus this morning. In your heart, in yourself, go to Him and say, Lord, I do not know up from down, right from wrong. I am just cast. I, I have no idea how to handle all of this. God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. And God provided for you 2,000 years ago, way before you were born, for this moment to believe in Him. And so all of us, I call you this morning to turn your eyes upon Jesus and trust in the triumph that He brings over tragedy. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your ability to provide in every single moment that it doesn't matter what we're going through. This pandemic, another pandemic, does not matter. We are provided for by your goodness, by your grace. Lord, show us the triumph in the midst of tragedy. Prepare us for Easter next Sunday, the triumph in the midst of tragedy. For our people listening that don't know that triumph, pierce their hearts to believe. It says in Acts chapter 2, whenever Peter preached at Pentecost, that the people were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, believe, repent and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Lord, I pray that message, I pray that word, Lord, that these people would repent and believe, turn their eyes upon Jesus, confess their sins, find salvation, find life, find true triumph in the face of tragedy. Lord, I love you and I thank you that we can even do this. I thank you for your grace, Lord, and your power that we live in victory because of Jesus. And I pray that that victory will be known by those listening and seeing and who will see later on today and through these weeks, Lord. We love you. We trust you. We have all the hope in the world because of Christ. We lack for nothing in Jesus. We have everything. I thank you for him, Lord. I pray to him now. I lift up everyone here, Lord. And it's all in the name, that strong, mighty, powerful name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.